Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you on this weekend after Easter, Easter tide, if you will. And uh, we are still uh, celebrating the resurrection because even though we celebrate it on Easter Sunday, uh, we know that the resurrection is for us each and every day of the year, every year of our lives, every year on the earth. And so we celebrate the resurrection. And we celebrate uh, this week with the beginning of our new series called Build Your Community. And so you'll uh, you'll actually see if you, maybe it might be a little hard to see at the moment because it's kind of dark, but there's a little cityscape cut out right here. And we'll be using that um, with the sticky notes that you got as you walked in for your prayers. Uh, we'll be placing those prayers on those later on. So even if you want to begin that at any point uh, now, at the, uh, from, from now until we pray and have communion together, you're welcome to do that. And uh, so we'll pray together and we'll celebrate together and we'll sing together. And we'll learn lots of great stuff from Pastor Scott. So so for all our friends that are online with us, we say hello to you. Uh, any prayers that you might have, please, uh, you can write them uh, in the line on Facebook there. Or uh, if you don't have, if you're watching on YouTube, you could always uh, send us an email to crossroads at ccmonline.org. Uh, but we want to make sure that um, uh, you are feeling like you're a part of this. Uh, and that goes along with communion as well. So make sure that you take some time, if you haven't already, to go into your kitchen or maybe into your back seat and find those crackers underneath the seat that your kids left. Uh, whatever it is that you have to have uh, communion with us, be it bread, be it crackers, tortillas, whatever it is, and some juice. And we'll celebrate this communion meal together. So everybody that's online, we say thank you for joining us. That is the good news, and so happy Easter tide, everybody. We're so blessed to have you with us today. If today's your first time here at Crossroads, we welcome you. We'd love the opportunity to connect with you if you so desire to get connected. Um, you can come on over to Next Steps after service. We have a free gift for you. Or if you're watching online, you can, uh, even in the room, if you want to snap the QR code on the screen, that will take you to some next steps and opportunities here at Crossroads. Um, and so just to share with you a few things we have coming up um, in, here at Crossroads for you. Um, as we said, we're in the Easter tide season, which is the, the days lead, leading from the resurrection leading to um, Pentecost. And um, if you follow the church calendar, you will, would have been reading some scriptures about how Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. And uh, I love just reading about how he appeared to people, he encouraged them, he walked with them, he even cooked for them on the beach, invited them to have some fish on the beach. So it's, it's just really amazing. But he also showed his friends his wounds, the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, the wounds on his side. And, um, and Jesus did that to show that he is in solidarity with us in our wounds because we all have wounds that, have, um, that either we've lived through or that we're currently living through. And um, Jesus desires that those wounds would be something that he can use for our community, something that he can use for the things that uh, in our world that are really in need of God's healing and in need of God's uh, solidarity with that. So um, we have a retreat coming up, and if you want to come to that retreat, it's going to be a beautiful way to connect with God, to show God, um, or for God to show you the ways that he desires to connect with you through healing and through uh, using what you've been through, what you currently are going through 
to bring healing to others. And so we pray that you will consider joining us on that retreat. It's three hours on a Saturday. If you've never been to one of our retreats, this would be the retreat you want to come to. And, and there will be a short presentation in the retreat, and then there's time for you just to be alone with God. You can go for walks on the campus or just sit with God and um, hear from God. So I pray that you would consider that. And uh, it's on April 22nd from 9 until noon. And then uh, also another opportunity we have coming up are baptisms. So if you've never taken that next step in your faith, we as a church family would love to surround you in uh, your baptism. And that's going to be on April the 23rd. You can sign up online. Any of these things you can sign up online, uh, ccmonline.org, and look for events. And you can sign up for baptisms or the retreat. Or you can come on right over to Next Steps and... um, and sign up there. And then also next week, we after baptism Sunday, we're going to have a meet and greet. So if you are someone who's been at Crossroads for a long time and you see new faces and you say, I'd like to meet some, some of the new faces, or if you're new to Crossroads and you say, I don't really know very many people here at all, uh, we would love to connect with you up in the cafe after service on Sunday. We're going to have some light refreshments, and it'll be just a very casual conversation with one another to meet um, meet new friends. So we hope that you'll come for that. And then also want to tell you, if you're a middle schooler, we have a middle school hangout that's coming up. And that's going to be on Friday, April 28th. The special guest is uh, Pastor Jacques Short. He's always a lot of fun. So they're going to have food and music and board games and uh, basketball, ping pong, all those kind of things. And of course, I'm sure there will be lots of uh, fun things to do. So if you're a middle schooler, you can grab one of these. They're right at the next steps. We have plenty of the postcards. Come on over and uh, grab one so you can get more information. So those are just a few of the things happening at Crossroads. And of course, always check out our Facebook page. Um, and when you check out our Facebook page, we're daily updating all of the things happening. Thanks. Thanks, Kathleen. I liked how you said there's going to be, you said there's going to be basketball, air hockey, ping pong, and fun things. So, <laughs> oh, here we go. Anyway, good morning, everyone. Claire uh, sends her love this morning. I feel a little bit, you guys ever feel, yeah, that's me this morning because uh, Claire and I, we uh, consider ourselves like empire penguins. They, they, uh, Part of the reason is they stay together for life. And Claire has been accused of being like a penguin when we play, speaking of sports, when we play baseball, she just kind of stands there and does a penguin thing. So, of course, one of the nieces said, you look like a penguin, Aunt Claire. So we're empire penguins. That's where that comes from. But anyway, I appreciate your prayers for her. She woke up. She would have been here, but she woke up uh, with a fever. So... um, She's at home, but we're trusting that she is feeling better. I just said what I said just to kind of see how her blood's doing and her blood pressure. I'll say some things as we go on just to make sure that she's awake. Anyway, we welcome you all uh, and everyone online as well. Um, We're going to start a new series for several weeks here, and we're going to go into the book of Nehemiah. So... um, Nehemiah is such a, an amazing book, 
and uh, we had a great conversation a few weeks ago in our creative team meeting around training as leaders and one of the things that uh, we, we just had a great conversation around that and Nehemiah is one of those books uh, that there is such a treasure trove of just uh, I just think God inspired thoughts uh, and these statements that are so profound through Nehemiah and Nehemiah's life so reflects our lives in so many ways so I just trust that over the next several weeks, we're all going to uh, find in Nehemiah's story our story and how it merges and connects and how God can do some profound things in our lives uh, together. So to start off, I just want to ask you a question, show of hands. How many in here have a problem? If you have a problem, raise your hand. Any kind of problem? All right, yeah, it's a lot of us, right? Pretty much all of us. And those that didn't raise their hand, they have a problem with their shoulder, apparently. Anyway, um, how many here uh, would say that you have people sitting near you that have a problem? Go ahead, raise your hand. Yes. And then this is a tricky one. How many here would say that the person sitting near you is the problem? You might not want to raise your hand for that one. But uh, I want to talk to you all about what your problem is and what my problem is and what God might do about that. The words, chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. I'll just stop there real quick. Uh, this, is, this, is not, um, this is not like some kind of fairy tale that we're entering into. We're entering into history, and Nehemiah starts to give us dates and very specifics, and they do matter, and we'll be touching on some of those as we go through. But in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. So at this point in history, just a little bit of a backdrop, Israel kind of gets divided into, there's like a southern area and a northern area, and um, in this area, it, it's unknown if Nehemiah had ever been to Jerusalem uh, before, uh, before he starts to recount what happens. He's got a very powerful position, uh, as we'll see. He's probably living an extremely comfortable life, but uh, his heritage, his people, are scattered in different places, and about 90 years before this all comes down, um, there is kind of a quasi beginning to uh, restore uh, Israel. Um, and the people are allowed to go back to their land, but it really isn't a good, it's not a good, um, it's not a good synergy that's happening. They're struggling, it's not good, and this is what... Uh, Nehemiah's brother starts to tell him about. And he says, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So um, just understand, uh, like if you go to Europe or some other parts of the world, there are these uh, gated areas, these walled areas, and it was for the protection for a lot of things. It was for protection. It helped with commerce. Um, it helped the people be educated. It helped with their spirituality. So that was all broken down in Jerusalem. Um, 
and the, the gates, which were critical. Also, those were burned with fire. So the city, imagine, is just wide open. People come and go. Their enemies come and go, take whatever they want. And Nehemiah says this. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Uh, So he launches into this prayer. It's one of the longer prayers in the Bible that is recounted. Um, And it's it's got some components to it that are really profound. And uh, some would say uh, there's a couple of things that Nehemiah does here that we don't really see anywhere else except for when Jesus prays for certain things. Anyway, um, Nehemiah is praying, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying before you night and day for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. This is one of those things. Nehemiah enters into literally repenting on behalf of the nation. And um, it's a powerful moment that Nehemiah places himself really as kind of a priest to pray for his whole nation and repent for sins and, of course, his own sins as well. And we have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed your commands, your decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. You see how Nehemiah owns it. He doesn't just say, those people, he owns it. These are my people, even though I'm in, I'm, uh, I am the assistant, kind of the right-hand person to the king of Persia. I am going to own my people's struggles. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants. They are your people. It's interesting here. He, he starts to remind God of something God doesn't need to be reminded of. And he knows that. God doesn't need to be reminded of what God's promises have been and are. But Nehemiah does it anyway. And it reminds me of the importance of us reminding part of the reason that, for instance, we bring Scripture before God is not because God has a bad memory. It's so that something ignites inside of us. Does it make sense? So Nehemiah is saying these things, and he's giving an account for the reality of what's happened. There's people that are exiled. Our people are scattered all over the place. You promised us this would happen. If we behaved kind of this way, if we acted this way, this has all happened. So Nehemiah is just recounting this. And he says, Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to our prayer to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man he's referring to as the king, and then he says what his job is. 
I was cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer to the king is a critical role at this point in history. He's hearing all the conversations, maybe outside of the king's spouse. The cupbearer probably has more insight and in, in, uh, is more in the mix of what's going on in the, king, uh, in the king's palace than anybody. Deeply trusted. The cupbearer was never somebody that wasn't deeply trusted by the king because all the information this person carried, right? So he states, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful and powerful and kind of a curious statement that he brings that up. I was the cupbearer to the king. There's kind of some drama to it, right? I want you to know this is my responsibility. This is my station in life. So whatever your station in life is today, I don't think any of you are cupbearer to the king, but you are something you would identify with. Not necessarily your work, but yes, your work as well could be your whatever you would describe yourself as. He describes himself in this instance as cupbearer to the king. Now, within every problem, and so we see right away in Nehemiah, Nehemiah's got a problem, and he's heartbroken over the problem. What is breaking your heart? Uh, I think there's two levels uh, when we have these kinds of conversations that are important to pay attention to. I think there's the problems that go on in our life personally, and then I think there is the kind of more macro sense, the other problems that we carry. So even as we have these conversations, uh, let's pay attention to both of those things. And maybe God will let one emerge more some weeks than others or on this day than, than the other. But try to pay attention to both of those things. Is there something breaking your heart around your own personal situation? Is there a problem in your own personal life that you're needing God to enter into? And what are the problems that you carry that are breaking your heart? Now, within every problem lies opportunity. Um, there's always opportunity. And I think one of the things that happens to us is we can get so discouraged and so struggle sometimes when we have problems, um, and understandably so, but never forget that there's always opportunity. And the biggest opportunity is that God desires to join us in that place. I would say generally, almost always, there's plural opportunities. But there's at least opportunity, and the opportunity is to invite God. So some of the characteristics of the things that can make a world of difference and for us to give attention to in this uh, first chapter as we begin this journey uh, is first of all, pay attention uh, as Nehemiah pays attention here to this sacred restlessness. Nehemiah's got a sacred restlessness. As we said, as I said, we don't even know if he's been to Jerusalem. He's living 800 miles from, from Jerusalem in this king's palace. He's got a lot of authority. I'm sure he's housed well. He's eating well. It would be easy for him to forget what's going on 800 miles away, no matter who's living there. It would be easy for him to, like, check that out. But he begins to get this sacred restlessness. And we see this in verse 4 when he says, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. After he talks, after he talks with his brother and others about these broken down walls and gates. 
Now he is responding to his broken heart, his concern, his problem. So what is it for you? What, what are those things in your life that at times, literally, they disturb you so much you just try to change the channel? You just, you don't know what you can do about it. You're not sure that there's really an effective plan forward, but it's still real, and it comes back. What captures your attention, your emotions, your soul, your energy? Claire and I were somewhere recently, I think we were at a fundraising dinner or something, I'm not sure, something like that, and driving home, we got in the car, and the first thing she said to me is, she said, I don't think that I could live a life where I wasn't involved in trying to help bring justice on the earth. She said, I think it's in my DNA, and then she talked about her dad and the way he was wired, but the reality of it is, is it's who she is. This is, this is, these are the things, part of the things that, that break her heart, that she longs for. What is it for you? What is it that you, you try to, even at times, because it disturbs you, you try to move out of your mind, but it just keeps coming back. Now, there's an interesting thing um, here that is said. Uh, it says, Nehemiah says, for some days... He talks about for some days that he sat and he listened and he prayed. For some days he mourned and fasted. Uh, And don't miss that because, see, this is what happens, I think, to all of us at times if we're not careful, is what happens is we realize things are a problem. We realize our heart is broken. We've got a struggle. It could be personal. It could be that corporate thing, that bigger macro thing that's going on in our lives. And we feel like God is, is maybe bringing vision or concern for, the, for us to make a change. Don't miss what Nehemiah does here. And he even gives us the dates. And I think part of the reason is to communicate something to us. It's the month of Kislev. Later he'll talk about the month of Nisan before he talks to the king. That amount of time will amount to much more than the amount of time he will engage. What happens, if you haven't read the story, is he's going to rally people and they're going to try to rebuild these walls, right? The rebuilding of the wall takes much less time than he spends praying and fasting and sitting with the heartbreak of what's going on. He's got vision, but there's an importance in the weight. God's working something in the weight. What does God work in the weight? When he gives us vision or he gives us desire or we know there's something we need to work on with that problem. In the waiting, God matures us. Just as you cannot re- grow a child in the womb at an expedited rate, so it goes with vision or desire that God puts in your heart. Immature vision rarely makes it in the world. If you don't give vision some time to emerge and pray over it and and let it develop in you, you run the risk, and you've all seen it. Maybe it's happened in your own life. People launching out great ideas, God ideas, things God gives to us, and then we launch out. It's like we get reactionary instead of waiting. Nehemiah is, is an expert at this. He waits, he prays, he fasts, he feels like he needs to weep and mourn. And he allows something to mature 
in us. The vision matures in us. And also the vision matures us. One of, the, one of the classic stories around here is Charles and Jill had moved out to this area from the Detroit area, and they had prayed for years for a church like Crossroads to start. And when we finally got out here and the church finally started, years, literally. And um, when we finally got out here, Charles made this comment, and we said, well, you know, wow, that's a long time to be praying and waiting. And he said, well, we were praying that you would grow up. And it's the truth. Not only that we were growing up, but that Charles and Jill were growing up. There is a competency that comes. See, what happens is initially vision exceeds your competency. God gives you an idea. He gives you a promise. He gives you a desire. And that will always be greater than your competency. So you have to get busy trying to let your competency and your understanding catch up. Then the problem shifts when you go past that and the challenge changes and competency becomes the thing that gets in the way of vision. So maybe you're in that part of life where it's hard for you to get vision, but man, are you competent? There's this beautiful balance that Nehemiah is looking for. He's looking for, and what we need to look for is the timing of God. God, when has my maturity caught up to the vision that you have put in my life? And that's when I'm going to move forward. That's when I'm going to talk to the king. That's when I know my time of prayer and fasting and weeping is over. And it's time for me to boldly take a risk. And we'll talk about that risk as we go on. But it won't be today. And then there is this peace. Never underestimate, as we see in Nehemiah, that God is preparing a way. There are provisions happening. When we first planted Crossroads Church, for instance, there was one couple from Marshall. We had to wait. We didn't know. None of us knew this, but that initial group, we were waiting for everybody to move from different parts of the world, really, or the state of Michigan at least. God knew that. And we would sit there and be like, wow. God understood that. God is preparing a way for you that is worth waiting for. We saw it with Nickerson Farm that we tried to buy Nickerson Farm property, which was that what's now a porno shop on exit 112. We tried to buy that, and we were kind of handcuffed, and it just didn't make sense why it wasn't working out. It was because this property was not for sale until 18 months later. God is preparing a way. God is making a provision for the vision that he's given you, for the the desires he's put in your heart. And I, I have to tell you, I sense that God is up to some similar things for Crossroads Church and has been for a couple of years, a few years, that there is an orchestrating. Think of God as this great orchestrator, this, this symphony that God is building, and he does this in your life personally, and he's doing this corporately with us, that God moves things into place, and you, you and I are not even fully aware that it's happening. You can always look back on it and say, man, if that wouldn't have happened, that wouldn't have happened, Right? You know that that's part of your story, and it's worth paying attention to and waiting. It is divine orchestration happening in your life. Trust in it. Rest in it. Take steps of faith when you feel released to take steps of faith, but don't feel like you have to get out ahead. 
Don't put the cart before the horse. Just wait on the presence of God, and God will lead you into the goodness of it all. So Nehemiah taught, shares, shows us this whole issue of a focused reliance. In verse 8, he just simply says this. He just says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. So again, he's reminding. He just... He gets focused on God. And then he gets so focused on God, it's like he's not going to give that up. The other day we were out to eat with uh, Don and Rhonda, and a friend of ours in the community came up to the table. And um, this person uh, who remains our friend was the person, she and her husband, we bought their house when we moved to Marshall 32 years ago. And she reminded us of a story because Claire and I had sold our house in Melvindale and she, she said, you know, um, your house fell through, your house sale fell through, I remember that. And um, it was like, yeah, that's right, it did fall through after we already had a deal set up with them. And then uh, Claire had a conversation with this person, called on the phone and said, listen, don't worry, um, God is in the middle of this, kind of making this happen, our house will sell within the next two weeks. And this person, this friend of ours, she said, I thought you were nuts. Like, who is this woman? Like, telling me she knows that her house is selling in the next two weeks. And the house sold in the next two weeks. Now, it doesn't always work that way, does it? But there becomes this focused reliance. And this is what happens for Nehemiah. There is this focused reliance. If I can trust anything or anyone, I can trust God. When it gets to that place, you know that vision is starting to come to pass. The old saying goes something like, there's three kinds of people. Some people sit by and wonder what's happening. Some people watch what's hap- what happens. And some people make things happen. Nehemiah, partnering with God, is a certain kind of person. For Nehemiah's story, it could be something like hundreds of thousands of people don't acknowledge that the walls are even broken down. Hundreds of thousands of people think that someone should do something about those broken down walls. But then there's this one person who decides, if I partner with God and we partner with others... Maybe we can change the world. Again, what is your problem? Where and how can you partner with God in the midst of the problem? We all know we live in a world of broken down walls. What is it that has your attention? Is it children that are mistreated and go hungry? Is it human trafficking? Is it the extreme poverty that some people live in? Is it the way that we don't treat one another equally or well? Is it lack? Is it foster care system? Is it adults that are challenged mentally, emotionally, and cognitively that get forgotten in this world?
Is your concern that people aren't getting the message of Jesus enough or clearly? Is your concern, your problem, that the church is so far from being what Jesus' dream is and you hope you can help? Or is it just closer to home? Is it something right here in Crossroads and you want something to be better and you, you look at that and you're like, I want to help. What's breaking your heart? Maybe it's your own children. Maybe it's your own family, your career. Maybe financially it's your own finances. Maybe it's in your soul, your mental, physical well-being, your spiritual well-being. That's why things like the, the um, retreat that Kathleen mentioned next week is, can be so helpful because it keeps us in a place of health and well-being to move into the goodness that God desires for our life. Maybe for you, it's levels of stress and anxiety. Let me ask you a question. What are the kind, who are the kind of people that you like to tell your kids about or you are most inspired by? It's not the people that, you know, not that it's not inspiring, but it's not the people that can say, you know, I had $10,000 in credit card debt and I got rid of it or... I lost 25 pounds on the, you know, whatever system. I mean, that's great and that's fantastic. But we did, generally, those aren't the stories we're camping around. What we're camping around are the, the people that most inspire us are the people like Nehemiah that say, you know what, I'm going to trust God to make a difference for people that are unsafe, that their kids are unsafe. And I'll just leave with this. The last thing is just this willingness to try. Nehemiah has this deep willingness to try. I love that he says he was cupbearer to the king, and I think it speaks so much to all of us. It's like you, you start where you start. Whatever the problem is, the concern, the thing breaking your heart, this is what we have. This is where we launch from. This is our life. It's the goodness of that. I love that he affirms the fact I am cupbearer to the king. He doesn't just quit his job. He doesn't just like go willy-nilly. He waits on God. He acknowledges he's a cupbearer to the king. So he's got constraints and boundaries with that. As much as it's a blessing, there's some other things that are going to be a challenge as we find out. But again, he rests in the great orchestration of God. You and I have no idea what's in the balance of us leaning into the burdens we have and trusting God to do the miraculous. There's a woman in the 20th century, most of you, I would guess, probably don't aren't familiar with her. Her name is Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears... Uh, by, met, by most that, that know who she is would say she was one of the most influential people in the 20th century for Christianity. Henrietta Mears was essentially a children's church, what we would call children's church leader, Sunday school leader. She ran a camp program for uh, youth and for college age students And she had deep influence and mentored 
some of the most remarkable people of the 20th century when it came to Christianity. She was simply known as the teacher. Yet she holds one of the most significant impacts on Christianity. Imagine this. A children's worker. It would be Henrietta Mears that would mentor Bill and Vonette Bright to a certain extent, and they would start Campus Crusade for Christ. If you've heard of the four spiritual laws, that's them. She would mentor and have great influence on a guy named Jim Rayburn, who would start Young Life, which is another campus ministry on most college campuses, or many college campuses around not only the United States, but other places around the world. She would mentor and have deep influence on a guy named Lewis Evans, who would be the founding pastor of a church called Bel Air Church. Years later, a guy named Ronald Reagan. And many other world-influencing leaders and people would be a part of Lewis Evans' church. Oh, and then there's this guy, his name, you might have heard of him, Billy Graham. Gave deep thanks for Henrietta Mears and the significant influence on his life. Children's church worker. You don't know, God knows, but you don't know. You may say, I don't feel like what I'm, my burden is or what I feel broken over or what my struggle is. I don't feel like that's significant. When we're talking about people like Henrietta Mears and Nehemiah, you're right, you don't know. And neither did they. And it would be that temple that Nehemiah would get busy in that city on calling the people to rebuild that one day, 444 years later, a guy named Jesus would stand in the temple and declare that he had come to heal all of our brokenness, to bring forgiveness for our sin, to be the provision for everything that we need in this journey we call life. God knew your life is so significant. And whatever it is that God has given you a burden or vision over and will continue to as time goes on, never underestimate. Because God is up to something wonderful in you and in me and in us together. So take heart, friends. God is with us. Amen? Amen. See you next week around this stuff. Let's stand together if we can, everybody. And this song that we'll sing together before we leave is a blessing song. And it's a blessing that we sing over our friends and our families, over ourselves. But as we sing it, can we think about the things that Pastor Scott talked about for each of us, whether it's our spouse, our kids, our friends? Where is ours? Where is their restlessness? Where is the vision they're getting? What are the competencies, competencies they are building? And then say, God, prepare a way for them. And let's bless one another with this song. Lord bless you. And keep you. May God's face shine upon you. And be gracious to you.